Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't um, mention kind of what's uh, going on at our church property and let you know that uh, we, if you drove by, you probably noticed some, they're digging some more footers and get ready for that foundation. We heard at our business meeting last month uh, that it's getting, uh, it's, it's getting closer. And so we're really excited about, um, about what's happening out there. There's a, uh, some great news I want to share with you. We did close on Thursday on our loan. And so thank you, Jesus, for uh, a family has stepped in to loan us two and a half million dollars uh, to finish out our building project, saving us $80,000 in bank fees. God has been so good everywhere you turn. If it's uh, the DOT said we didn't have to do road improvements, saved 100000 Um Wetlands, we did a mitigation Thanks to Pat Rary saying, hey, let's do a mitigation. We gained an extra half an acre of land practically. But everywhere you turn around, God's been on us. And then finally, this, yeah, amen. The, uh, y'all know the land's been paid off, but last week we exceeded in cash give, gifts, cash gifts from this church over $1 million. Yeah, for, isn't that amazing? There is no, we've not had any campaign, no consultants brought in, not, not one glossy piece of literature. All we did was say, would you pray? And you guys have done it. And I'm just telling you, it just, it blows my mind. There's a thread here and that's going to drive you OCD people crazy. I thought I got it, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, my arm too. Is that right? So anyway, the, let the joke begin. Anyway, uh, so we, um, uh, we are in uh, chapter four of the book of Acts. You're brand new to us. We walk Verse by verse, we excite. We like doing that. We we've preached. Uh, this is our fourth book of the Bible in the history of Creekside. Yeah, fourth book, and uh, we've been walking through. and And so, I'm excited because this is a uh, this is building up off um, building up on a whole new realm of a new church. This is the establishment of the church. Everything that's being preached about and talked about here is us right now as a church. And so, I'm excited about this. And uh, if you'll turn your Bibles to uh, to uh, chapter four of the book of Acts, um, we're going to go ahead and walk through um, the whole chapter, almost the whole chapter. But I'm excited because there's about five different messages in here, and you never know how it's going to land, you know. And I can't even say it's going to be like the first service because, well, the first service, you know, the Holy Spirit preaches at you differently, right? Just give you a little review. Peter and John, when I say they're ordinary men, I want you to take into your mind they're ordinary men. They're laborers. Today's equivalent, I want you to go to someone who is working really, really hard. I want you to go to that person who knows that is as far as they'll ever go. I want you to go to someone who would be bashful about walking inside of a shopping mall because of how they smell from their work. Somebody who'd be afraid to come in here because they might not have the, the nicest clothes. They would think they wouldn't fit in. These are people who would live in meager means. So for all intents and purposes, I want you to go to a hardworking part of town, hardworking neighborhood right now in your mind. I want you to go to a small apartment in a university area, I want you to go to a trailer park, maybe. I want you to go to somewhere where somebody just rises to work all day long and take care of their family. Hard labor. And you're going to go to that person and tell them, I want you to follow me. 
I want you to come with me, and you're going to be a part. I want you to meet this Jesus. Well, I don't do religion. That's not for me. I, I, that's not my, no, come with me. And all of a sudden, you meet this person, and you realize you're connected, and you leave this person. I mean, you leave everything you know to follow this person. And for the next year and a half, you have questions that are normal. Jesus, why are the crowds following us? Where are we going? What's happening? Where are we? It, Jesus, why, explain this more. These are ordinary men who now are living extraordinary lives. Keep this in mind. There is a description the religious give these men. They call them, and here it is. You ready? They refer to them as idiot ignoramuses. That's the exact translation. Who are these idiot ignoramuses? That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees are calling these disciples. Later in the book, you can see when they're pursuing these disciples, they burst into a room where they had just been, and here's why they refer to them. In just months' time, where are these men that have turned this world upside down? What a massive transition to go from one place to another place. Idiot ignoramuses to the men that have turned this world upside down. So let's review. Peter and John, ordinary men, hardworking men. These men have now been called upon to go out into the cities, into the countryside, and take this message. Except these men have now seen a resurrected Jesus. All their questions have been put aside. They have, been, they, have been, they have had an encounter at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit, has dwelt in them, moved in them, and given them a boldness. The Peter and John that we read about before, that we read about were sheepish men, scared men, are no longer sheepish and scared at all. That boldness has now overcome them. The story that we're about to, that's about to unfold here, you're going to look and think, who were these guys and what happened to the old Peter and John that were existing before? Here we are, verse 1, chapter 4. Actually, let me review in case you weren't here. I apologize. They healed a man who was lame. This is very important. Uh, he had been lame since birth, 40 years old. He's outside of a temple, and they walk up. At, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They walk up and tell this man, uh, hey, look up here. And the man was kind of, you know, he wouldn't have looked at anybody because he didn't feel like he's worthy. He said, look at us right here. And uh, I don't have any money. You know, it's silver and gold. We don't have any. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. At that moment, Luke says, remember, Luke is a doctor, a physician who's writing this. He says the man's bones, muscular um, um, abilities were just uh, set into place is how he described it. He, man, immediately stood up and he started leaping around. Which, by the way, was a fulfillment of prophecy that said, uh, because of the, the power of the Messiah, the lame will leap. Not just walk, they will leap. And so he's leaping like a deer, and he's incredibly excited. He's getting worn out, and he's actually leaning on them and, and hanging on them. At this moment, there's a massive crowd. Here we are, chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
Now, let me stop right here and just give you an idea. Did you notice it said they arrested him and they came at evening? And they, they arrested him, but they didn't call a court a, a, a trial. Uh, it's We are guessing, if you say they started at 3 o'clock, healed the man, and started preaching, they preached for three hours. They were preaching for three hours. Um, 5,000 men get saved. Uh, there is, we saw in chapter two, 3,000 men got saved. 8,000. I went to Land Lakes High School. I did pretty good. 8,000 men have been saved. Conservatively, you extrapolate that into families, women, children. You are now looking at 15 minimum thousand, probably up to 20,000 believers in a matter of days. This is not a become a go from a Methodist to a Baptist or a Baptist to a Presbyterian. This is a completion. This is not even a conversion. This is a completion of who you are. There is no Christianity at this moment. There is no described as a Christian. You are a member of what they would call the way. You are a member of a radical sect of Judaism known to accept and complete the Old Testament in the fact that Jesus is the living word of God. So this is a massive movement. Jerusalem's in an uproar. 20,000 believers, probably. They arrest him, and they, they, they tell him, you're going to go to court the next day because Jewish court does not meet at night. But does anybody remember when Jesus' trial was? At night. They did so in the cover of night. Remember, Nicodemus goes up to Jesus at night. At the night is when the cover of, under the cover of darkness, you would get away with certain things. So that ad hoc trial, that mock trial that Jesus went through was in the evening. In this particular case, they're going to call together the Sanhedrin, and I'll talk about that in a second. It says here in verse 5, I'm sorry, um, yeah, verse 5, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priest, priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, or by what name did you do this? Okay, now go back to verse five. And let me do this because we're about to get in the Holy Spirit. And I really pray generally before I speak. And I just, let me pray. The Holy Spirit does something. Okay? Jesus, please just speak through me and make this, make this really, really real to our hearts. God, awaken our minds, even in a room that's warm, even when we bring distractions. God, as happy as I am to see some folks here, it's nothing compared to you, you being as happy and thrilled that they're here. Speak to me, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are. The rulers come together. And they gathered in Jerusalem. This is the Sanhedrin Council, 70 men, except they would add another person, and it would be number 71, and that would be the high priest. The reason they had 71, because it was split between Pharisees and Sadducees who did not like each other, was the 71st person would cast the, the vote if they were in a tie. The Sadducees did not like the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees, let me give you an example. The Pharisees were a, a religious party of the of the people. If you're a working class citizen, you pretty much recognized who the Pharisees were. You identified with them. The Sadducees were from a world of academia. They had a strong connection to Rome, as a matter of fact. So a lot of the thinkers, the philosophers, that kind of thing were Sadducees, Pharisees, who they were. But they were all 
in opposition of who Jesus was in this whole radical movement. So they call together everyone. And if you notice in the next verse, in, next, in, in, in 6, for those of you who have, if you ever read through and you start doing concordances and you have questions and let me just point some messages, but Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, Chi, now, what does this mean? Caiaphas was the high priest when Jesus was brought into trial. Why is Annas called the high priest? Did he lose his position? No. Annas was the high priest before, but once you're a high priest, you're always a high priest. It'd be like a president. Somebody who was president before always maintains the title of president. So that's what's going on here. And in verse 7, did you notice here, it says, and when it set them in the midst. Don't underestimate what's happening here. The Sanhedrin met in a complete 360-degree fashion. They met in a circle, and the person would be placed right in the middle so they would never ever have rest from their eye contact. Any which way the defendant would turn, there would be people gazing and judging the entire time. So they're placed in the midst. Keep in mind, this is not just a religious council. This is known as the Supreme Court of Israel. Remember, the Romans gave over a lot of the religious authority in day-to-day life to the church, and that's why this council was created. So the Sanhedrin has brought them in, and then in verse 7, they toss... These guys, the greatest spiritual softball ever delivered. Here it is. You ready? Verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this? Well, gee whiz, I never thought you'd ask. I mean, this is the moment. By what power and what name did you do this? And then um, I want you to look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and before we go any further, this is Peter. This is the guy in your mind that comes over to do work at your house that you would not do. This is the guy that's timid, who's afraid to really stand up in front of people for, for his insecurities and say things. This is Peter, who, by the way, was one of the men who told Jesus, Jesus, we can't possibly go out and do heal anybody on the Sabbath like you want to do. And Jesus says, no, we're going to do it. We're going to go right to the temple, right to the synagogue, right outside, and we're going to heal someone right now. This is Peter saying, no. And for us in 2020, most of us Gentiles, we don't know what the Sabbath means, really. Well, an Orthodox culture to this day, if you were to go to Israel, you there are certain areas in Israel or in, let's say, New York City or homes in, in, in here, right here in Tampa. You observe the Sabbath as an Orthodox Jew. You cannot even turn on your oven. As a matter of fact, Monroe told me after the first service that when he grew up, the Jewish families would leave nickels by all the uh, by all the ovens. He said, as a kid, you'd go in there, take the nickel, turn on the oven, and keep it, and that was your pay. If you go to a high rise in Brooklyn in an Orthodox neighborhood right now, thirty three floors. You're going to have to stop at every floor on the elevator on the Sabbath because they can, they're not allowed to push the button. And so they're automatically stopping at every floor. You can see how radical they are about the defense of the, the Sabbath. So there is no way they're going to put up with a healing. Well, Peter's one of the guys going, Jesus, please, you can't do this. We can't. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go right here. Peter now is in a different place because of what he has seen and what he's heard. He is in the middle, in the midst of a complete circle. There are thousands of people outside. There's a lame man hanging on to him. And Peter is being asked by what power, by what name, and what authority you do, do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers of the people. Oh, by the way, this is so good. If you phase out and go to sleep, you're more than welcome. I won't call you out, as I never do. But listen to this speech. The greatest sermon I think you could ever get on the power of Christ. Here it is. Ready? Rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Folks, this man is standing up before the rulers and the elders of all of Israel. These are not kind people. These these synagogues, when I paint this picture, is not a place of like, hey, welcome to First Baptist. Here's some donuts and free coffee. This is not, this is... You better get your tail in here. Why haven't you paid temple tax? If you don't pay the tax, you know who we're going to send over. They send temple guards over, thugs who would beat it out of you. I'm sure there were good temples and synagogues for the most sensitive purposes. This was a place where you came because you better go. This was legalism at its best. He is standing up amongst the rulers of those churches. He says, you teachers of Israel understand this by no other name has been given salvation. And the man that you put to death, whom God raised from death, it's that name in which you can be saved. And that name which healed this man. Peter is preaching right before everybody. But how did he do it? Verse eight, go back. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Of all the apostolic gifts given, the ability they had to heal, the ability they had to to raise people from, from, um, from from their infirmities, the ability they had to communicate with people who couldn't understand them. You and I have the same ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit as they had. You and I have the same power of the Holy Spirit that these men were able to, to tap into. The power of the Holy Spirit that was as alive then is as alive now. He has never missed a beat. It is a power that has worked within us. As a matter of fact, it makes sense of Ephesians 3.20, doesn't it? Think of this verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what? To the power at work within us. Do you notice it just says the power that we can call at any time? The Holy Spirit moves in us. It works in us. He continually walks with us and counsels us, but he also gives us power like we never thought. There are times I've talked to people about the Lord, and I can't even believe the verses that come to mind. I can't believe the things that come out of my mouth, and I wonder, where did that come from? Well, it's no wonder. It's the Holy Spirit. There are times in which I'll have a conversation with someone and I feel like the Holy Spirit's just in the room right there in the midst. And I can't remember what the conversation was. There are times I would fast and I would go to read scripture and I'd read scripture and feel like the Lord was literally in the room and back of me. And and I still go back and look at those verses and can't figure out what it was the Holy Spirit was doing. The Holy Spirit is, is just alive. That's all I can say. But it means this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit has a purpose, and that is this. It's to magnify Christ. That's the reason. You can't expect all the time to feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is why our relationship with the Lord is not based on emotion. Folks, if you've ever felt 
like you just aren't real. Like if you've ever felt like it isn't real, if you've ever felt like you weren't saved, if you ever felt like you weren't forgiven, welcome, 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 and I'm glad you're here. And the Holy Spirit is too. He doesn't need competition. He doesn't need perfection from you. The Holy Spirit is at work within you to remind you of God's greatness. You see, we cannot demand the Holy Spirit come down on something. Sometimes he just surprises you. I mean, sometimes we'll be in a service and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just kind of moves on someone. I can't say that happens in every church meeting or every Bible study. It just doesn't. I mean, I don't think I've ever run across anybody in their final days to say, I wish I'd gone to more church uh, business meetings. Because we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about functioning, you know, and how to, how to survive, what to do. I think about the times when the Holy Spirit has pulled me out of places and things I never thought I'd get out of. I didn't deserve a rescue. Have you? There's no explanation given. You couldn't find any other method in which to describe why God did what he did. But he did something to you and for you. And so here is Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching to these people and recognizing this. He's no longer who he is. He's a new man, which is why I encourage you, if you get into a conversation about Scripture and you start arguing, you're not going to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You start getting into, well, the Bible says, you know, about this particular piece versus this particular piece, and you start saying, well, I believe and I believe. No, you stick to what the Bible tells you to believe. And the pontificating and the opinions need to, need just to stop. You'll never feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And am I saying go blindly, ignorantly into something? No. Can you have conversations about it? Yes, but there are times and places. If we ever get to a place up here in Scripture where it could probably touch on different belief systems in here that we wouldn't call a fundamental thing. I'm not talking about the inerrancy of word, the virgin birth, the bodily ascension. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about other things. We're not going to preach it. We're going to teach it. We're going to walk you through different sides of it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't fall on confusion, doesn't fall on um, thought and opinion. The Holy Spirit is about truth and about magnifying Christ. So here we are. Peter's in this conversation. Now verse 13. This is where it gets interesting. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is a really incredible verse. Look at the dichotomy. They were astonished. They were blown away. They were they were confused. Take that laborer in your mind. Take that person and tell them, I'm going to put you in front of the Supreme Court of the United States, a place attorneys couldn't go to all their entire life. I'm going to put you into that place, and then you're going to be brought up in front of the place that cameras are not even allowed to this very day. And you are going to look at the panel of nine Supreme Court justices, and you're going to lambast them and educate them right in front of them. You're going to show them the meaning of law. You're going to show them the meaning of, of what it means to, to, to follow what you're following. 
and they're going to be astonished. You're thinking in your mind, well, how could that happen? This is what is happening with Peter and John. These ordinary, uneducated men are thrust in the midst of Israel's Supreme Court, and they're, they're preaching to them. They're not just defending. By what power, by what name do you do this? I'll tell you what power and name. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And as a matter of fact, let me tell you about that power and name. And they fight back. This is a whole new Peter and John and other disciples. Of these disciples, of these 12 men that are going to be commissioned, even the 12th that replaced Judas, 11 will be put to death and the other one will be dipped in, in a vial of, of hot oil, put off an, on, an, on an island of Patmos to live out the rest of his days in exile. These men saw something that was very real. The very thing that hit me as a 23-year-old when I gave my life to Christ was this. You could have all the arguments you want. You could talk about all the apologetics you want. At the end of the day, I just want to know, is, he, is this real? Is there really only one way? I mean, the people that are born here and born there and born in this place, that's what they know. Is this this Western religion? And all of a sudden, just God got a hold of me to teach me. Well, first of all, it wasn't a Western religion. It was a birth in, a, in an Eastern country that, that bloomed in a way it should never have bloomed. These 12 ordinary men were sent to three continents. That's a big deal. When Jesus, who never made it 50 or even 100 miles away from where he lived, three continents. Roman authorities would get them where they needed to go because they were being arrested and persecuted. But then the day I saw all of a sudden figured out, you can live for a lie all you want, but you will not die for a lie. You're not going to do it. And then it opened my eyes to something. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit finally moved in and said, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting to show you who I am. As you can talk to an unbeliever all day long, but you cannot push the Holy Spirit on someone. You can't. And if they look at you like you're a three-eyed monster, it's okay. It's normal. Without the Holy Spirit, this thing makes no sense. Really. A, 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 a baby being born out of a woman who never had a physical relationship to get pregnant. And a body that's dead that comes out three days later and goes up in perfect form into heaven. It's easier to buy into Zeus and Apollo than this is. And no matter how many times we talk about 333 prophecies fulfilled out of the Old Testament, the likelihood of that being with a silver coin placed in the midst of Texas, 10 feet high, you find that it's the silver coin. That's great, but there's still chances. In my mind, I'm still thinking stats and the possibilities, but at the end of the day, there's nothing that can refute and negate the power of the Holy Spirit. That when you know that you know, that you know. And even as an unbeliever, they know, which is why you always see a negative, harsh, combative reaction to Christianity and no other religion, period. When I go to Vietnam, back in the day before, it kind of kind of a hipster backpacking place that it is now. It was like, you know, and it was after the Vietnam you were in, Colin, but much different there. But I go there and they took the Bible and I took my Bible and put it in a box. I'm like, no, I can't go anyways. I could have walked in there with a Zen Buddhist book, walked in there with a Quran, I could have walked in there with a Torah. No problem. But there's a fear because it's alive. And so these men who didn't even like Jesus recognized they had been with Jesus. You see, the verbiage of the world is this. We 
don't like him, but we can't ignore him. We can't. Do you remember the Amish school shooting in Lancaster about 10 years ago? Some a deranged man goes in, kills a teacher, kills the children as they're holding on to each other. None of them ran. They were, they were huddled around each other. Kills himself. Within hours, the press is swarming around the widow's home of the, one, of the man who killed this family. And out of the home, are you ready for this? Walk out Amish women who had gone to take food over to this woman. Amish family members who lost their children immediately looked to the needs of the family of the man who took his life as well as killed. I couldn't do that. Let's be honest. None of us would. I mean, there may be a few of you in here that are at that level, but I, I, I couldn't imagine. The world, what did the world do? In awe. What do we do as a church? In awe. How do you have that kind of love? How do you do this kind of thing? So the world stands in awe of like the way they did then. Well, these men, they're uneducated, ordinary men. Man, they've been with this Jesus. There's something about him. There was, um, there's something else that they've got to deal with. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They had nothing to say. The man was standing right there. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying this, what do we do with these men? For the notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So, next verse. So they called, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. How do you think that's going to go? All right, bring them back in, put them in the middle. Remember, there's no law against giving a lame man the ability to walk. No law. That'd be a weird law. But they've broken the law. They've broken the law about talking about this Jesus. That's what they've done. Well, there is no law. Where is this? In the, just bring them back in here. And so here we are, next verse. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. But when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man in whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now, as we walk through Scripture, we walk through the book of Acts. Next week, by the way, we have the Lord's Supper next week. Um, you're going to see consistently the power of the Holy Spirit at work. This man was 40 years old. I don't know where he was when they called him back in, but remember, he was standing with Peter and John the whole time that they were, they were ridiculing him. And did you notice this? It said, then they further threatened them. When they say, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna shut up. And then what do they do, they further threaten them. You have to remember, don't take that lightly. The threats that they threw down with no one recording what was going on, the threats they threw down of probably vile threats against their family, the yelling and screaming, 
the fanaticism of a religious, legalistic zealot is frightening. And this is what's happening. Folks, our church has been persecuted since the day of its inception. And it won't stop. Now, we as Americans have to be careful when we use the word persecution. It's like using any other word. It's relative. There are different degrees of it. This is, you know, we, we have, um, we look at our life and they, wow, we're persecuted. You know, I mean, we as Americans, they won't show our 30-second commercial on Super Bowl. You know, Chick-fil-A can't do this. Or it, we start looking at, it, it's, it, can you imagine sitting across from someone who's been arrested in Iran or North Korea is, a, is in a work camp and talking about our level of persecution? Can you imagine that? But here's the amazing thing about persecution. It not only ties together and binds together and builds a church, it builds a movement that could have never been otherwise. Think about historically as Americans the things you experience in your life that brought our country together. The first thing that I remembered as a kid was the Iran hostage situation. In Tehran, our embassy was overwhelmed and they took our people hostage, and they held them for 444 days. There wasn't an oak tree of size in America that didn't have a yellow ribbon tied around it, hoping that they wait for them to come back. We had a failed military operation going to get them, and our helicopters um, hit each other, and, and it was a disaster. Our nation never felt lower in its life. And when they were released, there was, a, there was just something about this country coming together. And there was a space shuttle Challenger in 1986. But just a few days ago was the anniversary. And I remember where I was. And I remember wanting to, I felt like the whole, I felt like the whole country was at the same funeral. And of course, we remember 9-11. For days, no one could crack a joke, even on late night TV. There was a bond. There's people that just came together. Persecution as a church brings people together like they'd never been. When Dominic Spudo came in and spoke last summer for six weeks, he talked about the persecuted church, but he said, I'm not here to talk about the poor persecuted. I'm here to tell you the persecuted have a message for us. You see, none of this would have been possible if they weren't persecuted. Think about persecution and being under trial got these men in the Supreme Court of all of Israel. Can you ever imagine these guys walking up to the Supreme Well, I'd like to kind of make an appeal and, and tell you about who Jesus is. Get out of here. Are you kidding? But at the moment there's persecution, the moment there's an opportunity, here they are. You're going to see later in the book of Acts, you have Paul, who's basically God says, you're going to stand before Caesar. And Paul's in the middle of nowhere. And how does he get to see Caesar? Not to give away the story when we go to preach it, but it's in there. He is taken by Roman slave ship. He's he's arrested by Roman soldiers. God is going to accomplish his means by anything. That he's going to, that he wants to do. This is what persecution does. And so you and I, sometimes we battle this with like, well, you know, persecution, we're under persecution. I'd love to get away from that. What if they take away in God we trust off our quarters? What if they do whatever? And I was the traditionalist American too, who held on to every value we had. But folks, the Holy Spirit is much greater than any nation's desire to take away our traditions. He is. We are okay. And the reality is, you think we are close as a community of Creekside Church 
you've seen nothing, nothing of closest in the day that all of a sudden it's illegal to come in here and gather together. All of a sudden you'll see who still breaks through the barriers to come here. You'll still look at see someone and you'll go, that's my brother, this is my sister. Which is why when I went to this conference a couple of years ago and I heard these Iranians talk about what it was like to smuggle Bibles in, you know, this massive movement that we talk about going on in Iran. And, and there was a motorcyclist. He said, I, I says, I'm taking Bibles and other guys taking Bibles. He says, we're supposed to drop in a place. Then they disperse them very quickly. And you're, you're arrested and, and beat up and thrown in prison. He said, all of a sudden, he says, I look over and the cops had, had jumped on this motorcycle. They were, just, uh, they were ripping the helmet off this guy and they were beating him up. And he said, um, and I just turned back around and I went and, and, and tried to help him as best I could. And, uh, you know, we're both arrested. He spent one year in prison. And I'm watching this man being interviewed at this conference. And Cameron, you were there, as a matter of fact. And we were there. And, and I'm so glad the guy asking a question asked a question. He goes, why did you do that? He said, you didn't even know the other man? He goes, no. But, and his answer just came off so fluently. And he said, um... That's my brother. I'm going to spend the rest of all of eternity with that man. Of course I'm going to help him. What a mindset to have. This is what persecution does. Persecution is paving the way for this to happen. And so go back to um, uh, verse um, 21. says, um, at least I think that was it. Uh, where was I? I feel like I'm lost. What was my last verse? Um, my last verse was 19. Well, okay, go, go to verse 21. Okay. And when they'd further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Now, think about this. The people outside are pressuring the people. There are 20,000 believers, we think, outside, and they have to deal with them. People, they're, they're dealing with this in, in, in their mindset. Did you notice earlier it says, this is the cornerstone from which they're, they're actually quoting Psalm 118. These ordinary men are quoting scripture. And they, say, they compare Jesus to a cornerstone. What do they mean by that? The cornerstone they're talking about is this. It said when they were building the temple, they would quarry the rocks to bring in, and there were master stonemasons that would bring them in. They would use no mortar for any of you in construction. You could kind of get a picture of this. They bring the stones and they place them in place. And they said you could take a butter knife and try to fit, try to get the butter knife through the crevices and cracks where the stones were. You couldn't. And they had one odd-sized piece that was laid out by the stonemasons and the designers, and they put it off to the side because it wouldn't fit. It wasn't. It was an odd size. And they got to a certain angle, and they realized they were short of stone, and so they they said, "Oh yeah, somewhere in that dump." is a stone that was cast aside, and that's what it must be for. They brought it over, and it fit perfectly. It became the capstone, the cornerstone. Think about the description of Jesus as the cornerstone. He never fit in. He was cast out, and yet was critical to the completion of the church. And these simple men, Peter and John, are explaining this. He's the cornerstone. And you, it was once cast aside is now, is now being brought in and, and, and being given to who, what we have. Now they're going to go back to their uh, friends. Verse 23. When they released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and watch this, they are quoting Psalm 2 here. It says, why did the Gentiles rage? The people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your Holy Spirit, your Holy Servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they go back to the friends. That's what you do. When you go to jail, you can't wait to get home and get in your bed. There's no more comfortable place than your bed, trust me. You can't wait to be around your friends and family. To be, I need support. That's what they do. They go back, and what do they start doing? They start talking to the friends about what had happened. They start quoting scripture. They're quoting scripture. They were never brought up to understand scripture. If you were going to be an educated one, you were brought up in a sense of studying under a rabbi. You would study under a teacher. You study under a scribe. But if you're going to be a fisherman, kid, go fish. You can't read. These guys are quoting scripture now, left and right. And so then it gets this place. This is huge. Verse 28. Whatever your plan had predestined to take place. This is why I, why I highlight this as a big deal, because here it is. You ready? Every time they used to ask Jesus when he said he's going to do something, why are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to go to this place. Why are you going to go there? I'm going to leave you. Why do you have to leave? And Jesus would continually answer them, you don't need to know this. You can't handle this. You can't understand. They constantly had a question. Different disciples at this place, they say, your plan has been predestined to take place. Remember, everything they saw in that resurrected Jesus answered every question, which is why when you hear people say this, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, no, you're not. <laughs> it's just not. I love watching videos where people are emotionally blown away, and I mean in a good way, and wrecked for something that's great. Reunion videos where people don't expect. And all of a sudden you see that action, that interaction, and it's just raw emotion and love. Can you imagine the entrance to heaven All you've loved, the held on dear in Christ, are in a room with you. God, who you always wondered what looked like, is there. And what was your question again? <laughs> you see, when we are in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we understand God has a perfect plan. And everything's in order. Let me ask you this question. They prayed for boldness. Have you asked God to be bold? Look with me in the next set of verses. We close. And now the Lord said, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Did you catch that? What's the one thing they pray for? God, give me more boldness. Give me the ability to go back. I talked to a guy who's a Marine. I'll never forget, he was a college minister. This was, wow, 15 years ago, 
during the Iraq war. And he got called up for reserves to active. He goes, yeah, I'm going to Iraq. And I was like, oh man, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess I, I mean, I, like he goes, sorry. I joined the Marines for a reason. I'm like, okay, I'm an idiot. I didn't think about that. <laughs> like this guy joined not to go to, you know, to go to drill once a month. I talked to a missionary one time. I think of another time I got kind of like reprimanded. I have been praying for this missionary. Pray they're safe. They're safety, they're safety. And they're like, I appreciate that. But I want to be used. I don't want to go over and be just so shielded and protected. That's why I sold everything I have. Because I want to be used. So when we pray for boldness, we as Christians, what do we really pray for? God, shield me. I can't handle this anymore. Or is it God, give me boldness? Give me boldness in the midst of, of, of uncertainty. Give me the strength. Give me courage. Give me the courage to overcome this temptation that I never thought I would get over. Give me boldness to overcome this thing that owns me. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a chain I wear around my neck of sin that overwhelms me. And I've gotten so used to the weight. My posture is what my, is my posture because of it. And what do we say? God, give me the ability to stand with it. Give me the ability to walk with it. Can you imagine saying, God, give me the ability and the boldness to break it. Never underestimate the power that is at work within you. Verse 30, while you stretch your hand to heal and all signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's a golf course in Temple Terrace. Any of you guys ever golfed that city golf course out there? There's a historical marker on a certain hole where a young man from North Carolina felt in an overwhelmed, overwhelmed when he was going to a school out there called Trinity, that he was going to be used by God. This insecure country boy was going to be used to preach the word of God. But he had to first believe it all and accept it all. He he said he literally fell down on his knees and prayed, God, would you just speak through me? God, would you, I give to you a complete faith that I believe everything in your word and I trust my entire life to you. He gave up all of his future plans. And the young man was Billy Graham, right here in Tampa. Billy Graham became an evangelist that worked with every president since Eisenhower. Actually, Truman. He actually worked with Truman a little bit. And, and, and this man would, would, would give counsel to the Queen of England. This man would, would uh, go to London, as a matter of fact, for a revival that was supposed to take place for three days. Three days. Six weeks of crowds over 100,000 people. He would go to places that politicians and other leaders couldn't go to. And one of the greatest invitations he was given was to the Soviet Union, a communist country. He was brought in, and he was brought in to, to, to speak. And I, I put on the video last night 
and you see the Red Army chorus choir singing in their uniforms. They're singing. It was it was kind of campy and cheesy. They were singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic because that's like the most Christian kind of thing they can sing. And they're they're singing away and and their big Russian voices and and then all of a sudden it fades to uh, him preaching. And Billy Graham gets up there and there's eighty or ninety thousand people in the auditorium, hundreds of thousands of people outside. They, they totally underestimated what was going on. They did have a a, a monitor outside. And Billy Graham gets up there, and what he said was so profound. I mean, of course, he gave the message of the cross. He gave the message of Jesus. But he went to give the invitation, and even Billy Graham did not know what was going to happen. He would say to everyone, just please, come forward, right? That's what you do. Any of you been to Billy Graham crusade? Some of you have been to and he'd say, just come forward. Well, you see him, and you and I'm watching this video, and my mind's rolling in my mind. This is the same guy that's speaking with such confidence. When he's on the Larry King show, where he'd be interviewed all the time, he, Larry King asked him one time, what would you ask God when you get to heaven? He's always saying, well, I don't think I could ask anything, just like we said. But one time he said, I suppose, Larry, if there's a time in which... I could ask a question. I would simply ask, why me? Why me? Me. Why? This meek, humble man, but when he's in a pulpit in any country and in the night, late 18, or 1980s in the Soviet Union, there he is speaking and preaching with his confidence. And all of a sudden, as soon as he says this, he says, if you want this Jesus, I want you to come forward. Then he looks up in his famous words that he said, don't run, don't run. And the camera pans, thousands and thousands of people are sprinting and running. Soldiers who were along the perimeter, AK-47 strapped to their, side, uh, strapped to their backs, are running with them taking their hats off and looking at him and saying, just give me this Jesus. What took a country boy, an uneducated, ordinary man in Billy Graham and gave him the ability to go to countries and turn the world upside down? Nothing but the power of the Holy Spirit. The reality is the next Billy Graham could be here. But what do we do? Why do we pray? God, get me through today. God, give me the wisdom here. Give me the ability here. God, let me just survive. Let me just finish the the race as best I can. When was the last time I prayed? You prayed. for boldness. To say, God, I pray that the power of your greatness does something. But are you ready for this? Here it is. Here's the catch. I'm not talking about for you to be used. Here we are. All minds fixed on this thought. I think it's important for everyone to hear. When was the last time you prayed for boldness? by the Holy Spirit, to preach to you. 
to break through the insecurities, to break through the fears, to break through the doubts that you have, to break through the lies that you tell yourself. When was the last time you said, God, I pray that I have boldness to deal with me. That you no longer see yourself as an ordinary, uneducated person. You see yourself as the Pharisees would eventually see. That's someone who's turning the world upside down. Because if you don't think you're capable, you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. Break down the functional savior. Break down that person who continually sits there and looks at, each other, at yourself and says, you know what, I, I can't, I don't know why God would use me. I don't read enough scripture. I don't pray enough. I don't, I don't lean enough. I don't trust enough. How about this? Pray for the boldness to break down the competitor that you're giving to the Holy Spirit in your flesh. Say, God, I need the boldness to wake up. I need the boldness to get over myself, and I need the boldness to change me. And then who knows? I'll change the world. It was an Imperial War Museum. We had a, a note uh, that was found in the body of a British soldier. And the note was very profound. He said, when I was young, I prayed for the world to be changed. As I got older, I prayed for my country resign myself that my country would be a better country. Then I prayed for my family. And now that, and he wrote this on the eve of his death in trench warfare, he said, but now I see I should have prayed for myself because I would have had a better country. I would have had a better family, which would have been given us a better country and who knows may have even changed the world. I'm preaching to preachers. I'm preaching to you. I'm not even preaching collectively. I'm preaching to each one of you as a person that needs it more than anyone. God, I want to be bold. I want to admit that I am an insecure, fearful person who's a screw-up and a mess-up. And I'm boldly asking you, to move in my life and show me a side of me that I don't even think is capable. You're going to forget this message when you leave, but do not forget the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that is at work right now within you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit is something that we all can boldly come to an approach. God, right now, I thank you that in this room are people in here who, who walk in with um, thinking maybe the church is for their neighbor. Walking in thinking this place is um, it's a healing place, but Lord, it's more than that. It's a place where we can rise up. It's a place where we can find truth. And Jesus, I pray this is a place that can, we can find ourselves. If there be anybody in here who's never known you as Savior, Lord, they would just simply come see one of us or talk to the person that brought them and ask them what it means to be saved. And Father, I pray this, that for those who are saved, that they would see the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray for that boldness. Boldness to preach against ourselves. Boldness to stand up against ourselves. Boldness to deal with the insecurities, the pains, the troubles that we have and break through them as only you can do. God teaches to be bold. And then we can be bold for our neighbors. We can be bold for our country. We can be bold for a world. Father, thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stand together and just, I thank you for, I know this room gets hot. I feel it up here more than anybody. But I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the band. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that you brought in here. I do pray that you find the boldness that I've found to break through the insecurities I have to be able to stand up here and preach. And uh, anyway, God loves you. Thank you.